A diamond is one of the hardest materials, one of the hardest minerals, I guess you could say, in the earth. And they're also very valuable. Diamonds are valuable gems that are basically crystallized forms of pure carbon. That carbon goes through a process of pressure and time. And that pressure and time eventually produces a diamond. Many of you may even have some diamonds with you tonight. If you go to a store to look at diamonds, there are so many facets of the diamonds. The jeweler would want to show you uh, and call attention to the many different angles, the, the way that the light is perhaps popping off of the diamond. And he'll say things like, wow, look at how that light really pops off of that diamond. There are so many angles of a diamond that you can't really notice them all. When we see diamonds at a jewelry store, they are usually showing them using a backdrop of black velvet. And they do that because they create a contrast. They create a contrast between the diamond and that backdrop of that, that black velvet. And I do have a picture um, just to show you exactly what I'm talking about. The good news of Jesus Christ is a lot like a diamond in that sense. You see, without Christ, we are in just the sea of darkness. We're kind of like living life in that kind of black velvet darkness without Christ. And just like the, the diamonds at the jewelry store in that black velvet, um, there isn't much to see. If you take the diamond away, there's not much to see. It's just the blackness. It's just the darkness. And if you could see our hearts without Christ, it's pretty dark. It, it, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but to see your heart without Christ, to see what it was. You know, I was thinking about that thought and I was, you know, they've got these commercials where they want to show people like how their lungs look if, if, you, if you smoke. And they, they do all these experiments and they, you know, blow smoke into, you know, through these you know, I don't know, milk jugs or whatever with cotton balls in it, and they, they smoke all these packs into this thing, and they pull it out, and they go, see this? See this blackness? Yeah, that's your, that's your lungs, you know, when you're smoking cigarettes. If we could see our hearts before Christ, before we knew Christ, it's just darkness. It's just blackness. It's pretty dark. And then we are shown the diamond of the gospel, the diamond of the gospel, when you see it truly as it is, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it really pops against the darkness of your condition without Jesus. The diamond of the gospel is, is quite a contrast between our hopelessness in sin. One of the angles of the diamond that pops out at, to us at first is his saving grace. I don't, I don't know if that maybe is the first thing you noticed about the gospel, but I, I think it probably was because you, you, you discovered, you realized, someone told you that you were a sinner and that you were in need of a savior and you were like, whoa, what am I going to do with my sin? And then you discovered the gospel of Christ. You realized that Jesus is a savior. You realized that he has this saving grace that he wants to offer you. And, and to save you from the darkness of just your life without him. But then there are many other angles of the gospel. There are many other bright points 
of the gospel. It, it doesn't stop just at the saving grace. There's so many different things, and that's why tonight I'm comparing the gospel of Christ to a diamond. There's so many ways to see it, and today you might notice that one aspect. Tomorrow it might be something else that the Lord shines his light on his gospel and the good news that he has for your life, and, and we go through these things, and, and we learn these different facets of the gospel of Christ. And when you look at our passage tonight that we're going to look at, Paul is really calling attention to a lot of these angles of the gospel, a lot of these facets, a lot of these things that the gospel of Christ does in our hearts. So Paul, he, he, in, in that sense, he paints a picture for us of, of what the gospel means to us what it has done, what it accomplishes, what it offers to us on a day-to-day -day basis. And so tonight we're going to take a look at this, um, the, the diamond of the gospel. If you're taking notes uh, with me tonight, the first point is this, the gospel, in the gospel, we're confirmed by faith. Let's look in Romans chapter 5, pick it up, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance. We are confirmed by faith. We're confirmed into the gospel the, this facet that we're looking at right now is this idea that we're confirmed in the gospel by faith. That is the, the thing that where, whereas we're confirmed in the gospel of Christ. Now, in some churches, they actually have this confirmation process, right? In some particular um, churches, you go through uh, maybe some classes, some teaching, and when you get to the end of the, of the, of the teaching, of the schedule or whatever, and then you, you, know, you go through this confirmation. And once you're confirmed into the faith, then they allow you to receive the, the communion elements. And then thereby receiving the communion elements, you are receiving the gospel. And this is how it's handled in certain churches. And perhaps you're thinking of one that I'm thinking of. But there, there are a couple different versions of this it, within, uh, within Christianity. But the reality is that we come to Christ and we're confirmed not because we've gone through a class, not because we've walked in through the doors of a church, but we're confirmed in the gospel because we have believed upon Christ Amen. through faith. It's by grace, through faith. We are confirmed by one thing, and that's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. Paul says in verse 1, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith. You've been justified by faith. You've been, you've been made right in Christ by faith, believing upon his work, by what he's done on the cross. And we are confirmed in faith. That's it. That's the thing. There's, it's, it's nothing that you do. It's nothing that you perform on a daily basis. It's not how good you were this week or how good you thought you were this week. Or, or maybe you didn't think you were good at all. And you're, tonight you're feeling like, man, I'm really bad. <laughs> you know what? 
Saving faith comes by believing, simply believing in Christ and who he said he was and what he did and what he accomplished on the cross. That's it. It's not based upon your performance. It's not based upon how good you are because God came down to to earth and did everything that he did in the gospel by giving his life. And he did that while the world was completely alien to him. But but, but we were get to it. We're going to look at a famous verse of scripture that you all know tonight. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not about anything that, that, that we can do in that sense. It's not about our performance. It's about one thing, and that's believing upon Jesus Christ and trusting him and being his and being his by virtue of that faith. Now, I want you to turn back one page in the, in the book of Romans there. We're in chapter five tonight, but we're going to go back to chapter four, and we're going to take a look at what Paul just explained in this, in this epistle about Abraham and the faith that he had. Pick it up, verse 16. Paul says this, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he had promised, he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him as righteousness. So what Paul is saying here is what was accounted to to Abraham as righteousness was him believing in the promise of God. And what the argument that Paul's making here in Romans is it's the same thing for us. It's the same exact thing for us. In fact, he says in in verse 16 there, he says, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be to everyone, to all the seed. To all what seed? All the seed of Abraham. You see, God told Abraham, we've been studying, right, in Genesis. God told him, you're not going to be Abram anymore. You're not going to be a high father. You're going to be Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have many children. You're going to have many sons that are going to come from you. And at that time that the promise was given, he had none. And so the Lord is giving this promise and Abram believed it and he was Abraham and he became the father of many nations. And so if you're here tonight and you're a person that believes in Jesus Christ and what he did up on the cross, you're the seed of Abraham. Amen? You're what Paul is talking about here in in Romans 4. You are the seed of Abraham that according to grace, through faith, believing upon the promise. What promise? The promise that God made when he came and he died on the cross, was buried, was resurrected, and came out of the grave and won the victory for you. And so if you are believing upon Christ, you are of the seed of Abraham. And so... That's it. It's one thing. 
One thing, you're confirmed in the faith of Christ by in the gospel of Christ by faith. And you know what? If we've heard it once, and if we've heard it a thousand times, we need to hear it a million more times. Amen? We need to hear this. I need to hear this. I'm preaching this all the time, and I still need to hear it. And I'm here tonight preaching it and hearing it. Thank God. Because we need to hear this. It is through faith that we're confirmed in the gospel. And let us never forget it. Let us never forget that, that God has done his work in us by giving us his grace, by us simply believing upon him, by trusting in him. Are you his tonight? Are you trusting him in the gospel? Well, Paul goes on. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're confirmed in the gospel by faith, and we're then given peace with God. So this is kind of another angle of the diamond of the gospel. So we're confirmed by faith, simply believing, simply taking God at his word, and then we're given peace with the Lord. We're given peace with God. Before our salvation, we did not have peace with God. Paul talks about how there's enmity between God and man. There's this, uh, there's, there's, there's this you know, broken thing. There's the chasm was far too wide, as we sang, right? And, and so uh, God came to build the bridge. God came to give us peace. The, the chastisement of our peace was on him. He took the punishment upon himself so that we could have peace with him. And so we have peace. We have peace with God. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for the peace of God? But then Paul continues. Here's another facet. We have peace with God, through whom, verse 2, also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So here's another point. Here's another angle. Here's another ray of light ricocheting off of the diamond of the gospel. What is that? It's access to grace. We have access to grace. We've received grace as salvation, but we also have continual access to the fullness of God's grace. And we need it. Amen? We received it when we received Christ, but we continue to have the grace of God available to us. How many need the grace of God today? How many used up all the grace? <laughs> you know, you, you used up all that grace. We need another, we need another batch. We need another, we need a, you know, and his mercies are new every morning. Amen. His grace is there's a continual supply of it. We we have access into the throne room, and 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 it's and it's called the throne of grace, right? Remember, it's the mercy seat. The throne of God is a seat, and it's actually called the mercy seat. It's a place where you find mercy and grace. And, and, and the gospel gives us direct access into that throne room so that we can walk right up and touch the throne of grace and receive the grace that we need today. Yes. How many need some grace today? Well, you have access to walk right into the throne room right now and touch the, the throne of grace. You can boldly approach it. Amen? Yes. You have access. You've, you've, you've got, you know, kind of, you know, when they have these concerts and stuff and you, 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 know, you work behind the scenes, maybe you're a part of the crew or something, and they give you like a badge, right? 
you know, a lanyard and it says all access and you can go wherever you want to. And they check your badge and it says all access and they're like, okay, go ahead, go ahead. You're good, you're good. That's exactly what we have. We have an all access badge. We have like, you know, a backstage pass to the, to the throne room of the universe and it's called the throne of grace. Let me tell you a little story. When I was in college, I, I, I tell you about these things, and I don't know if you enjoy these, these stories or not, but anyways, I'll tell it for myself, amen? <laughs> One of my favorite bands um, growing up in high school and then on into college was a, a Christian band by the name of Whiteheart, and that, that great, great, great band. And so anyways, they were coming to Orlando, and I was going to college in Lakeland, and so they were coming to Orlando, and they were going to be playing at UCF. And this was back in like 1990 when UCF, I remember driving on the campus of UCF and driving back like on a gravel road back to this like place where the concert, now it's like this huge monstrosity of a university, right? It's the, it's the, the second largest university in the nation. Did you know that? University of Central Florida. Yeah, look it up. Google it. It's true. Behind Arizona State is number one. UCF is number two. And so anyways, we went to this concert and we got there super early. And we, a friend of mine from, from college, we were there and we were just kind of snooping around. Before the concert, there was a line uh, kind of forming at the front door. And we said, well, you know, we'll, we'll, let's go around the building and check all the doors <laughs> and see, you know, what's going on. So we went around to the back of the building and we saw this door and we knocked on it and someone was there. It was like, you know, the Wizard of Oz or something. And somebody was there, answered the door. And before we could say anything, they said, are you guys from Lakeland? And we said, yeah. And they said, well, come on in. We've been waiting for you. And the next thing we knew, we were walking around with the band and everything. And all this, and it was like this crazy thing. And, 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 and by the end of the night, I don't, it's, sometimes I don't know how this stuff happens you know, to me, but the, I find myself in these situations. By the end of the night after the concert, we were literally with the band on the tour bus, kicking back, watching their new video that was going to be released. So I, I don't know. But anyways, I don't know what access to what backstage would really kind of get you jacked up tonight and excited. But I'm here to tell you that you have access to a particular place that, that it's got to be the greatest place in the universe, amen? Because it's the throne room of heaven, and it's the place where you have access to the throne of grace and mercy for your life. And Paul says we've got access to grace. It's an incredible, incredible thing. And so we've got to remember that. Moving on, this is a power-packed few verses here. He goes on and he says, um, verse two, I'll read it again, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, so now that you've been brought into the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me throw another ray of light, another angle of looking at this gospel that is revolutionizing your life one by one. So you have access by faith to the throne of grace. Now you rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Christian, your hope tonight, I don't know what your hope is. 
Is, 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 is Lotto tonight? Is there, is, there, is there Powerball happening tonight? Yeah, probably every Saturday night, right? There's a Powerball. Some people are right now, they're at the 7-Eleven. They're at the Circle K over here. They're at the, you know, whatever. They're at the Wawa, you know, and they're like, yeah, give me some Powerball, you know, and, 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 and here's my last five bucks. And, and, they're, and they're hoping in this, they're hoping in that. Christian, your entire focus of your life and the hope that you have has been totally transformed and changed because you're now not just totally fixated on the temporal and the here and now. Paul says here, he says that you can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You are now hoping in the glory of God the, the power and the majesty and the glory of God that is transcendent over the entire universe. The glory of God. That's what you're hoping in. Yes. You're hoping in that you're, that you're a part of this, that you have access to the, ma- the divine majesty, that you have access to the glory of God, that you are going to be with God forever and ever and ever. This is what you're rejoicing in. So what were you excited about today? What, were, what, was, what was the joy that was filling your heart today? Let it be the fact that you're hoping in the glory of God. We have hope in the glory of God. We were, man was created for, to enjoy the majesty and the glory of God. We were created to walk with and to worship the Lord and to enjoy the glory of God in our lives. And what happened in the garden, taking us back to Genesis again tonight, what happened in the garden was that man fell short of the glory. See, we were created for the glory. But then man fell short of the glory. And that's why in this, in this epistle in Romans, in, in, in Paul's writing it, and he comes to chapter 3, and he says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory. But you see, you were created for the glory of God. But now you've been redeemed and you've been won back. And so now you can once again, like you were created for, you can rejoice in hope for what? For the glory of God. Because even though we fell short of it, God fixed that situation. And through faith, by giving you access into the throne room of grace, you can now once again do exactly what you were created and ordained for, and that's hope for the glory of God, hope in the glory of God. And then one day we'll share in the glory. Right now we're hoping in the glory. One day we'll share in the glory. First John chapter three, verse two, John says, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. What's he saying? We don't know. There's, we're going to be changed. In the twinkling, twinkling of an eye, we're going to, the incorruptible, the corruptible will put on incorruptible, Paul says in Corinthians. What's going to happen is in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, this corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. We're going to be putting on a new body, a new suit. Yes. And we're going to share in the divine glory. Amen? It's going to be incredible. It hasn't been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So, wow, we are 
going to share in the glory. You fall, you've fallen, you've fallen short of the glory? <laughs> We're going to share in the glory. Amen? Paul goes on in this passage. He says, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, he just keeps going. <laughs> you read this chapter and it's like, and not only that, and not only that, and not only that, and you thought you understood the gospel and what it meant for your life. We thought we had an angle on it. We thought we had a, we, we thought we had a handle on it. Well, let me tell you some more. But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. One of the things that we want to do in life is get out of as many tribulations as we can and as quickly as possible. Amen? I mean, if we find ourselves in a tribulation, it's like, where's the fastest way out of this, this deal? You know, I, I, I want gone from here. But you know what? There's a principle in Scripture that the tribulations that we go through produce in us perseverance in the gospel of Christ because in those perseverance, those tribulations, we're learning to persevere and continue to hope in Christ, to continue in the face of everything that, that's going on in our lives, that we're learning when, 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 when it's not going great, when it's not going great, we're learning right now. We're learning how to continue to hope in God, to continue to be a person of the Lord, to continue to walk with him, even when it's not easy. When, 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 when there is, you know, kind of, you know, kind of some rough relationship with somebody in the family or whatever it is, maybe at work, not in the family. <laughs> Nobody has family troubles, right? No. <laughs> We're learning through the tribulation to continue to put our hope in God. And that's why when we find ourselves in the tribulation, we need to remind ourselves of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Suffering and tribulation will come. But Paul, Paul says here we rejoice in them. Why would we rejoice? Because, okay, the tribulation is going to do one of two things. It's going to drive you to wander off and try to figure things out on your own or it's gonna drive you the other way and produce in you a perseverance that's gonna get you to the finish line, get you to that place where you have overcome. Right. Amen? And you're sharing in the glory. So tribulation produces perseverance. Amen? Paul goes on, let's keep reading. Knowing that tribulation produces Perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. So, you know, again, we want to find ourselves out of the tribulation as fast as we possibly can. But there's kind of a domino effect of some good things that God wants to do in our lives. That if we find ourselves out of the tribulation just as fast as we can, maybe, 
Maybe that perseverance that God's working in your life, it, 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 it's not done yet. <laughs> God's working on that perseverance and he wants you, he wants you to learn to continue to, to, to call out to him, to continue to walk with him. We're going to get to a passage of scripture in like you know, a couple, two, three, four years in Genesis um, in, when we get to about chapter 32. And, and, and there's this passage where Jacob wrestles with the angel of Yahweh, right? He's wrestling with the Lord. And it becomes this picture of what it means to be a person of God. That we're, li we're literally people who wrestle with the Lord. That we, that we go through this, 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 this walk, this, 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 this relationship with the Lord where, man, he's working on us. And, 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 and there's this, you know, I didn't know, you know, the Lord is a wrestler, right? And, and Jacob was a wrestler. And, and there was something in that, that wrestling that, that happened that, that produced something for Jacob that was going to continue to, to, to be lasting in his life. Right? Because he may have thought that he won the wrestling match. Well, I wrestled with the Lord all night. Yeah, well, right at the end of the match... The Lord touched the hip of his, the socket of his hip, right? And the, the text tells us that he got up from that wrestling match and he walked with a limp from that day forward to always remember that he's working it out with the Lord. He's walking with the Lord. And the tribulation is producing perseverance and perseverance is producing character. And character is producing hope. And so look at your perseverance. Look at your character. Look at the hope. What are those levels like in your life? Is this thing happening or is God still needing to do a work? Because these are all aspects of the gospel that God wants to be working out in your life. Perseverance produces character. Suffering like the pressure. Put on the carbon that produces a diamond. Remember, we talked about the diamond, right? The, the, the pressure and time on the carbon produces a diamond. And as we persevere in the tribulation, we're being formed and molded on the inside, from the inside out, and God is working his character within us. And the question, Christian, is, are you getting that? Are we getting that? Am I getting that? Because the Lord wants to work on us and produce a character, and then that character produces a hope. A hope is a confidence. It, a hope is a confidence. Right? There's a confidence. The hope produced by character is confident that God is in control and that he will see you through and that he has done it before. And that's why when you look, you look at a seasoned saint, right? What's that? A, a, you know, a Cajun believer? <laughs> I just saw Patty. I just saw Patty on the front row and a seasoned saint. What's a seasoned saint? A seasoned saint is a Christian who's, they've been around the block a couple times. This ain't their first rodeo. 
And you come across a seasoned saint, and this happens, and that happens. A loved one dies. This report, that situation happening. And they're unfazed. They're unfazed. Why? Because that tribulation has produced perseverance. That perseverance has produced character. That character has produced a hope, a confidence in them that God is going to carry them all the way through to the very end. Amen? And then it produces a contentment in the hope that we have. Let's pick it up, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we have a contentment in the hope, this hope that is produced in us will not disappoint us. Okay, so you get, to, you get all the way to the end. The dominoes are falling. Tribulation. Tribulation is producing perseverance in me. Perseverance, character, character, hope. I've got this hope now that's, that's tested. It's tried. It's true. I have this hope, this, this, this thing that cannot be, I, I cannot be moved. By, by circumstances. The whole world may fall. It might be, you know, nuclear, global thermal nuclear war. Remember that? War games? You know? Global thermal nuclear war. Okay? It, it don't matter. Why? Because I've been through the process and I have a hope. I have a confidence in the Lord that he's going to take care of it. And he's seeing me all the way through to the finish line. And so that's why Paul says here, the hope that will not disappoint us. In other words, we don't have a hope like the people standing in line at the Circle K right now. They have a hope. That one in 142 million, you know, numbers are going to come up tonight at 11 p.m. And that they're going to win the Powerball. We have a hope that will not disappoint us. We've won. Yes. Yeah. We've already won it. This hope cannot disappoint us because God is for sure and he's going to do it in our lives. Right. Of all the disappointments we've ever had, we will not be disappointed by God. And then Paul goes on to explain why. Why is it that we can't be disappointed by God? Look at it. Verse 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The first point is, here's why, here's why you can't, your hope won't be disappointed because the Holy Spirit has poured the love of God into your heart. He's filled you up with the love of Jesus, the love of God. And here's another reason. Because when you didn't even have strength, when you were in your flesh, when you were like the black velvet in the sea of darkness of your own sinfulness, verse 6, for when we were still without strength... 
In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why is it that you won't be disappointed? Because if you're a person of believing faith in the gospel of Christ, you, won't be, you cannot be disappointed because God sent his son to die on a cross for you while you were still a sinner, while you were ungodly. Wow. Wow. God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then lastly tonight, we're composed in God. We're composed in God. Verse 9. Let's read it. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if we were enemies, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, now have, we have now received the reconciliation. So we're composed in God. So God has drawn these things together, and he is, you know, Paul said it this way in Ephesians. He said, you, we are his workmanship, right? Remember that verse that verse that where Paul said that in Ephesians 2.10? He said, we are his workmanship. The word in the Greek is the word poema. It's actually where we, where we get the word for, for poem. It's, it's the idea of a work of art. It's the, it's the workmanship. It's a masterpiece. And we're, we are his poema. We are his workmanship. We're composed because God is working this thing. He's bringing this whole package together. He's bringing this whole work together. A composition. You're like, you're like a composition of his. Remember, remember when you were in school? What did they, they had those black journal things. What were they called? Composition. A composition book. Yeah. Remember that? I never did understand those. I didn't want you know. I didn't want to carry one. I didn't want to carry one of those books around. I was like, man, those are. For, I don't want to be the. I don't want to be like those people who carry those books around. I never. I don't remember ever having one. Other students had one. Somehow I made it through school. I made it all the way through school, and I. I literally do not remember ever having one of those. And so, don't buy me one. <laughs> I want to keep my streak going. All right. Do not get me one of those composition books. But let me tell you this. We are a composition of the Lord. We're reconciled to God. We're reconciled to God. Our life has become a new composition. We're now composed in God. God is the center of our life. How is it that God is the center of your life? Because you've been brought from death into life by him. How is, it that you can, how is it that you can live a life as a believer in the Lord not be the center of your life? You've been brought, you've been brought from death into life. Because look what, Paul, look what Paul is saying here. 
Verse 9, he says, Much more, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, we were brought near by the death of Christ. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So through the death and resurrection of Christ, because he died, we've been reconciled. Because he lives, we can live. Amen? We shall be saved by his life. It's, you know, it's pretty simple the way Paul put it there. We shall be saved by his life. Because he lives, we're going to live. You're saved, Christian. Yes. You're saved. I know some people don't like, you know, saved. Are you saved? Maybe in some ways we've gotten away from talking about how we're saved. I don't hear, I don't hear it a lot anymore. You know, are you saved? <laughs> saved from what? I'll tell you what I'm saved from. I'm saved from death. I'm saved from being completely alienated from God. And, and, and through the Son of God who came and, 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 and became completely alienated, for me, for you, we're going to live. We're saved by his life. And so we can be encouraged. We're saved. We're saved by his life. So we're reconciled to God. We're saved. And one more. We have a joy-filled life. The command is to rejoice. Verse 11. And not only that. How many times has Paul said that? And not only that. And not only that. And not only that. Let me tell you one more thing. In case you were falling asleep. In case you were nodding off and checking the scores. Of some game. No one does that anymore, right? This is, the boy, this is the boycott the NFL weekend. But we, re, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We rejoice in God. So Christian, take another look at the gospel of Christ. Take another look at the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight. Did you realize what you had? Did you realize what you had, what you've been given? This diamond. This is the most valuable diamond that there is. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, now, I've been to, I'll close with this. I've been to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. How many have been there? Smithsonian. You get lost, right? Back into, you know, trying to find all this stuff. Well, in one of the museums there, the Smithsonian, they have the, the Hope Diamond. How many have seen it? The Hope Diamond. They have it there. In Washington, D.C., you can go in there, and there it is, the Hope Diamond, and it's just sitting there. You know, and all these, like, you know, fifth grade, you know, fifth grade classes with, you know, they're, they're going around, you know, I remember... I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, and we would actually take field trips to the Smithsonian. And they'd give us this thick 
workbook of things and they let turn us loose and you had to like find all the answers to all these questions in the Smithsonian. It was like, you know, night at the museum type of a thing. <laughs> and, and there it is, the Hope Diamond. Christian, you have a Hope Diamond. You have a Hope Diamond. It's called the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's more valuable than the Hope Diamond that's sitting behind some plexiglass or glass under some type of a protective <laughs> glass in Washington, D.C. You've got the hope diamond of the gospel of Jesus Christ.